0: Before we start our message here today, I want to take a moment to pray for uh, a very uh, challenging and specific need in our world. Uh, many of you understand and know of the situation that's happening in Syria right now, and there are Kurdish Christians who are over there and who are under attack and being oppressed and dying. And uh, we just want to lift up uh, our brothers and sisters over there, but just actually even the Kurdish people, and pray for the Lord's protection and blessing upon them. So would you just bow your heads with me, and, and let's pray together. Lord Jesus. We thank you that, uh, as this song just declared, even when we fr- feel surrounded, Lord Jesus, we can come to you and believe and know that you will surround us and work and protect in our lives uh, in Jesus' name. And so right now, Lord Jesus, we want to lift the Kurdish people, up, Kurdish people up to you and ask and and, and plead with you uh, that you would surround them with your love and your grace and your protection. We pray, Lord Jesus, that um <clears throat> Yeah, you would just take care of them, you would hold them, and you would keep them in Jesus' name, and for those who are facing attack or oppression or even uh, the possibility of losing life itself, Lord Jesus, would you just uh, provide for them in ways that are beyond uh, the scope of our imagination right now? And for those who are here, um, who are are from Syria or, or who are Kurdish themselves, have family and friends who are back home. Uh, Father, would you just uh, be with them and comfort them and give them perspective to know that uh, even in the midst of darkness, you are working and you are good, and and your hand is upon um, these people, and so we commit them to you, Lord Jesus. We pray uh, for those, I know that we have Alliance missionaries over in this part of the world, would you watch over them and protect them as well, and Father, would you bring peace to this region, which seems like the impossible prayer right now, but would you bring your peace and your presence, and would you do a transforming work? And bring life out of the desert floor in Jesus' name. And so we commit these things to you. And now, Lord Jesus, as we look into your word, would you bless and touch and anoint my tongue and open our ears to receive from you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was a couple of weekends ago that I found myself up in Edmonton. I was with the Lethbridge Police Service. And no, I wasn't uh, at the back end of a a high-speed pursuit that was prolonged. Uh, No, my past hadn't caught up to me. Uh, I'm a police chaplain here in town. And I was with... Uh, Twenty or so, twenty-five or so of our members at the Alberta Police Memorial. Um, if you've never been to this before, you've never heard of this before. Uh, the Alberta Police Memorial is a day that takes place the last um, Saturday, or sorry, the last Sunday of September, and it's done so for the last six years. And is a wonderful opportunity to celebrate and commemorate the hundred men and women who have given their lives in the line of duty to protect our province and to keep her safe. And it was a wonderful day. We uh, arrived in Edmonton at the legislative grounds, and uh, our our, uh, members marched in with uh, members from every police service from around the province. Um, We were able to celebrate and commemorate those lives as their names were read out. Uh, The RCMP chaplain had an opportunity to pray uh, for those families and for for those who had fallen. Uh, There was choirs that sang. There were people that were able to come together and celebrate these lives and remember them. And it was a wonderful day, and after it was all done, uh, the group, uh, m- many from that contingent that had gone up, and, uh, and many from the other agencies from around the province, uh, gathered at the Edmonton police quarters to have some pizza and some fun together, and uh, we were just having a great time, but quickly in the middle of that uh, time that we were sharing, our minds um, set back to Lethbridge in southern Alberta um, to the realities of what, we're ta- was, what was taking place down here. And we knew that Snowmageddon had hit and that this storm of the century, maybe the biggest storm ever to hit uh, southern Alberta in September, uh, that's not verified, it's just a thought, uh, had hit hard and that probably our journey back to Lethbridge was going to be long and arduous as we were on the bus together. And so a decision was made that we would leave uh, the police headquarters early and we would drive back and, uh, and try to make our way back to Lethbridge um, even though it was going to be long in a safe manner. And so when we got on the bus, there was uh, actually quite a jovial, jubilant spirit to what was taking place. We were having a lot of fun, and the, the new rookies that were up there with us uh, commented on what a special day this had been, and what a special celebration. And the more senior members uh, were just saying, you know, it's really important that we come every year and be a part of this. And, and we just had this great discussion, lots of fun, laughter, uh, great conversation. But as much as it was great when we started, the further south that we traveled and journeyed, uh, the more negative it started to become. We got to Red Deer, and the snow started to fall, at least, uh, you know, we started to experience the snow, and, and, and people started to just get kind of complaining about it. And so we got off the bus, and I did the only thing that I could think of in the heat of the moment to cheer up the police officers, and I came up back on the bus with a couple boxes of donuts, and I said, "'Hey, I heard you guys like these things, and maybe this will help.'" And we kind of laughed, but uh, as we kind of continued on our way um, further south, the more and more critical and, and concerning uh, things became. We got to Olds, and the snow really started to fly, and then Didsbury um, and, and Airdrie, and we came into Calgary, and it was really, really blustery and snowing. And the, the bus had started to slow down, and we started to wonder if we were even, even, even going to be able to get back to Lethbridge that night. Some who had gone in front of us in different vehicles had stopped for the night in High River, and we thought maybe we would do the same, and so we were starting to make preparations that we were going to be inconvenienced and gone from our families or gone from our homes later that night. But we had a bus driver that decided he really wanted to be back, and he continued to press forward. At one point, we received text messages saying, stay in the left-hand lane when you get into parkland and down approaching Um, Nanton and Claire's home because uh, cars were going in the ditch and it really was becoming a a dangerous trek. Well, we passed through Parkland. We got into Claire's home and soon we passed the point of no return where there was nowhere left to stay and we were going to have to make our way into Lethbridge. We went down into Fort McLeod and we left Fort McLeod at 11.30 at night and two hours later at 1.30 in the morning, we pulled into the parking lot at Lethbridge police. And I was one of the first people off the bus concerned, uh, frustrated, thinking that I had to go home and shovel driveways and, and shovel people out and all these things. And I look at my car and there's my little Honda Civic with two feet of snow on top and three feet behind it. God bless the snow plow that plowed my car into that spot. So I pleaded with a staff sergeant that helped me push my car out. and We got it out and I got on the road. And I just wanted to get home at this point. I was critical and frustrated and And it was just kind of venomous coming out of me. And Roland said to me, get somebody to give you a ride back to our house. Don't come through the coolie because your car will never make it. But being a good husband, I knew better. And so I drove down. And actually, the coolie wasn't too bad. Where I ran into problems was when I got to our community, just west of us here from the church. And I saw there was two ruts that were going into into our community. And so I... I plowed forward, literally plowed the snow forward, and when I got onto our street and I got up to our house, I realized that it had snowed so much and that even though Rolna had shoveled the driveway a couple of times that day already, there was no way that I was getting my car into the driveway, uh, or literally, you know, into the driveway, but even towards the curb close to our house. And so I did what every good southern Alberta does in moments like this, and I backed the car up down the road as far as I could go I put it into first gear, and I started to shift and get that car up to as fast, as speed as I could get. And First, second, third, fourth, I was flying down the road, and then when I got close to our driveway, I passed the neighbor's truck, I cranked the wheel, and I came flying into the curb, only to discover that even the snow there was deeper than I had anticipated, and the car lurched to a stop. I got out, and I stepped into snow, and my feet instantly became cold and wet, and I looked, and my car was still sticking out into the road. It was still almost towards the ruts, and if people drove by and weren't careful, there was a good chance likely they were going to hit the car, and so I started to dig it out. I tried to push the car. The belt on the car was squeaking and squealing, and I thought, this is crazy, and finally I got to the spot where I just gave up, and I slammed the door shut, and I think I bent something on the frame or whatever it was. It wouldn't close all the way, and I just left the car, and I said, fine, fine. I'll just leave it, and if somebody hits the car, insurance can replace it, and we'll just get on with life. And I walked into my house, you know, crawled into bed, freezing cold, and kind of bitter and cynical in my heart. This morning, we're continuing this series called, I'm in, but, and the, the consideration I want us to talk about here today is, uh, I'm in, but I'm not always thankful. Thankful. And it's this idea that, uh, and on this weekend, it's so appropriate, that so often as Christians in life, as people who are supposed to be exuding joy, exuding patience and grace and mercy and happiness and all of these things, as we are people who should have been transformed by Jesus and our lives paint portraits of that in our culture, too often our lives paint a different picture. Too often, as we journey through our own situations or, or, or storms or moments in life, our lives look more like we've come through a snowstorm than sinners who've been saved by grace. And so what I want to try to do for us here today is talk for a few moments, or maybe a, you know, a number of moments, about what it means to be thankful people. And as people who are living on thanks, or in Thanksgiving weekend here in Lethbridge, what we can do to push reset on the thankful quotient in our lives and live in a different, uh, with a different posture. Now, I just want to say up front, this is not going to be an exhaustive list. I'm not going to, you're not going to leave here today and say, wow, Aaron gave us 10 points, and after we do all those 10 things, we're going to be thankful. No, I'm going to give you three things to start the process. And so if you miss four, five, and six, uh, you might not get that this morning, but you will get one, two, and three, and we'll journey through this together and talk about how we can start the process of being thankful again. And so if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them with me to Psalm chapter 34. We're gonna read from verses eight to 10 uh, here together this morning. If you don't have a Bible, it's up on there on the screen behind me and you can follow along. But I wanted to read this for us here today starting in verse eight. And then we'll pick this apart and talk a little bit more about how we can develop an attitude of gratitude and how we can nurture thankfulness in our hearts. Let's begin here starting in verse eight. It says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed are those who take refuge in Him. Fear the Lord, you His holy people, for those who fear Him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. On a weekend like this one, there's so much that we can pause and be thankful for, and I would guess that if we were to, to stop right now, and I gave us time in this service to talk just in general about thankfulness, we would do so really well for probably a couple of minutes. But then as the conversation would turn, or as the conversation would continue, I bet, I'm willing to bet, that it would start to turn and start to get a little bit more negative. As we uh, move beyond our reflections of thanksgiving, we just talked about life, and we start to include things like news, sports, weather, and politics, I would guess that a critical conversation starts to develop. And there would be some complaining and some concern, and, 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 and honestly, if I was to be honest with you here today, it probably would start with me. And yet, as true as this is, as true as, as it's become in our culture, that we are a people who have a propensity to complain, when we read passages like Psalm 34, we discover afresh an, a, a an invitation to view life and our situations through a different lens, rather than observing and measuring our joy through the different situations that we work with each and every single day. And so as we start this out here, I want us to look at verse 8, because I think there's something critical here as we're talking about thanksgiving and nurturing this attitude of gratitude that has to be captured first when we start to push the reset button and we start to strive to be thankful people again. So look look what David says here. These are familiar verses, taste and see that the Lord is good, blessed are those who take refuge in him. What David does here to start is that he invites us to consider our relationship with Jesus and the work of Jesus in our lives in very experiential ways. And he starts, the scholars say, with two, uh, two inferences here towards the two ways that Jesus works in our lives. And the first is that salvation moment. That moment when we realized that we're sinners and that we needed a solution to the sin problem that we have in our lives. And so he says, remember who Jesus is at the foundational part of who you are. He is your savior and he's your Lord. He's your sanctifier and he's your healer and he's your coming king. And so remember that and build your foundation for joy and thankfulness out of that. Pastor Scott has often said to us, and he's often shared with me, that if all Jesus ever did in our lives was provide us with salvation, it would have been more than enough. It would have given us reason to get up in the morning. It would have given us reason to gather every single day. It would have given us reason to get down on our knees and worship Him and cry out to Him from very deep places in our heart, our gratitude and expressions of joy and thanksgiving to say, we never could have done this for ourselves. We've moved from being sinful people to being sinners who are saved by grace. We've moved from being filthy rags to people who before the almighty God in heaven because of Jesus are seen as the radiant white bride. And if all Jesus did was deal with that, for the rest of eternity, we could worship him and thank him and build and live in that foundation of thanksgiving because of what he's done. But friends, hear me very clearly when I say that Jesus has done that and yet all so much more, that it's the dynamic reality of our lives that every single day he works in our lives, he sees our situation, he hears us, he calls out to us, he blesses us, he heals us, he provides for us, he transforms us in the everyday moments of everyday life. He saved us, and now there's an ongoing work that's a dynamic reality. And David says here, see it, experience it, hold it, and have it, because it's yours to know and yours to have. And he says, as you experience this and as you see that God is good, you will find a blessing that will come when you rest in Him and when you allow Him into the situations and the storms of your life that you feel like are are too far gone or, 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 or just beyond you. David invites us to recognize and take note of God's good work and to have faith of what God is going to do and what he's going to provide. And rather be, than being weighed down by, by bad weather or another flat tire or your hockey team that has lost its identity and can't win, or maybe that political party that, that you're just wondering how they keep getting votes, whatever it is, David's saying, look beyond that and remember the one who saved you. Remember the one who's at work in you and the one who's transforming you. Friends, if we want to to practically experience gratitude and thanksgiving, then we have to start by practically taking note of what God has done and what God is doing for us, and then out of of that recognition, invite him into the situations that we face and trust him that he will work and bless once again. When Hudson Taylor uh, first set sail to go over China, he boarded a ship and he started to sail across the ocean. And when they were approaching Southeast Asia, um, to the surprise of many, they ran into problems. The wind stopped blowing. And they didn't know what they were going to do. The captain and his crew tried a number of different things. But uh, finally, they came to the situation where they were ready to give up. The ship had steered way off course. And they started to approach islands that, that people knew, or the crew knew, were inhabited by cannibals. And the closer they got, the more that these these local uh, native islanders were recognizing that they were coming to shore. At one point, the captain said to, to the people that were journeying with him, he said, we've done everything we can and calamity awaits us. He said, the locals have lit fires on the shore and they're waiting for our arrival. Demise is here. And when he said that, Uh, Hudson Taylor went over and he said, Sir, respectfully, can I just ask you, because I believe there's one more thing. Could myself and my three friends retreat to our room? And would you allow us to pray and ask God to intercede on our behalf? And the captain said, sure, whatever needs to happen. And so Hudson Taylor went down to his room with his three friends. And when he was in his room, he confessed that the prayer was nothing elaborate or sophisticated. It was a simple plea to God. Something like, God, we're in trouble and we need you to send the wind's. And after he prayed that prayer, he quickly went back upstairs, and he found the first mate, and he said, sir, let down the sails, because God's about to do something that we could never do for ourselves. And, you know, with with little hope in his heart, the first mate let let the, the sails out, he undid the knot, and the sails came down, and when the sail came to the bottom of the mast, the winds began to blow. Quickly, that boat was brought back onto course. And Hudson Taylor came and was able to come into China and began a powerful dynamic reality of bringing Christ to the nation of China and to the Chinese people. And There was a blessing that came because he invited Jesus to the center of the situation that he faced. Friends, the secret to discovering gratitude and joy despite the circumstances of life starts like it does with David to look at Jesus and practically experience his salvation not only in an eternal sense but also in the day-to-day sense that he is working in us and around us to accomplish his goodwill. It's to take note and to take an inventory of how he's been faithful and then believe that he's actually going to do it again. And not only would it, does it fuel us But it also shapes us with thanksgiving and thankfulness in our hearts. And it sustains us to have gratitude and to fill us up. Well, David goes on here in verse 9 and he shares these words. He says, Fear the Lord, you His holy people, for those who fear Him lack nothing. And what David shows to us here is that there's this intentional posture to finding joy and finding satisfaction in Jesus. There's an intentional posture to thankfulness and an attitude of gratitude that needs to be caught as we what? As we fear God. And so it begs the question, what does it mean to fear God? What does it mean and what value is there to fear God? And the Bible shows us in in Proverbs chapter 28, 14, it enforces this. It says, blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. And then Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2, it says, this is the one to whom I look. This is what it means to fear God. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So friends, fearing God has to do with an intentional practice of of knowing His Word and reading it daily, of regularly interacting with the Scriptures to understand what it says and and to allow the Holy Spirit to speak through the Scriptures. It's a process called illumination to show us how to live differently in this world. And then when we read the Scriptures and we see how to live differently, it requires us to have the courage of Joshua to step forward and be obedient, even when it seems crazy in life, To, to, to know what God says, to hear that prompting, and then to step forward and and actually obey it, actually do what God says. And then the third thing to simplify it all is to be in communion, or or to talk to God, and to process it through. And this is where the thanksgiving comes in. It's to intentionally thank God for the little things and the big things, and to intentionally have conversations with Him, where daily you're crying out and pouring out, yes! Yes! Thank you, Jesus, for the little blessings. Thank you for the meal that I've had. Thank you for the good night's rest. Thank you, for the, thank you for the car that I have to drive to work or the bike that I have to ride to school. Thank you for the commute that I have that's short nothing like the one in Calgary. Thank you for the job. Thank you for my coworkers. Thank you for whatever it is. Thank you for these beautiful flowers that were grown and seemed to survive even despite snowmageddon from a couple weeks ago. It's a regular, intentional practice of being in the Word, of being obedient, and of declaring thankfulness daily on numerous times and in numerous things. And what's the benefit of it? It says, for those who fear Him lack nothing. And the dynamic reality of Scripture, friends, and that sort of relationship with God is that we start to see the world through a different lens. We start to see the world as God sees it and we start to realize that there's very little that we are missing in life. In fact, there's nothing that we're missing in life that will hold us back or that will break us. God will provide. We will lack nothing. And in all of this, we will develop an attitude of gratitude because the things that we measure our thankfulness on start to change and the perspectives that we have of how life is going will change as we make conscious decisions to look to God and not elsewhere. You know, the science behind gratitude and thankfulness is something that's actually incredibly fascinating. And more and more scientists are discovering the power of intentionality and its ability to actually change how we see things in this world. This week, um, Catherine Lyle, who's a friend of ours and and was in the first service here this morning, she decorated the church here today and we're thankful for that. And as she was decorating, she was asking me about my message and she went and found an article that is absolutely fascinating, talking about the science of gratitude. That's exactly what it's called, the science of gratitude. It comes from the greater good and science center. And in it, there's this in-depth study of the benefit of being thankful in life. Part of the study reveals that our brains actually rewire themselves when we practice gratitude daily. If you complain daily, you're going to see the world through a glass that's half empty. But when you're thankful daily, your brain changes. It physically changes so that you see this world differently. There's a psychological response that takes place when you daily get up and thank Jesus for the things that you have. It actually changes us. And not only is there a psychological blessing, but there's a physical blessing as well. People who regularly practice gratitude have better health They're better able to handle and cope with situations in life. There is uh, an increased measure of happiness and life satisfaction, and there's a decreased measure of materialism. I'm going home today before Christmas, and I'm going to make sure my kids are so thankful, because I'm going to save money this year. It actually changes us. One of the pieces of the study that I found fascinating was that living with thankfulness and gratitude can actually broaden and increase our resiliency and guard our hearts against burnout and help us to cope better when life hands us curveballs. It's powerful, friends. And as we desire to nurture a thankful heart and live with the joy of Christ as Christians, I'm going to suggest that the second way that this moves forward is that we daily and intentionally practice thanksgiving. And not just around the Thanksgiving table when, when your dad or, 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 or your husband or your mom or your neighbor or whatever says, hey, what are you thankful for this year? That's a good practice. But that's just the starting point. I mean daily, you find opportunities to do things like, like get a prayer journal. I love this activity. And we've done this with our small group now for years. Get a prayer journal. And I take that prayer journal and we just write the date down. Uh, um, Sunday, October 13th. And we say, today we prayed for the Kurdish people in Syria. Today we prayed for a blessing from God. Today we prayed for it. And you just list off the things that you pray for that day. And then regularly reference back to those prayers and watch and see how God shows up and how he works. And I'm going to be honest. Sometimes it's not always clear. Sometimes it can get confusing. Why God moves in some ways and why He moves in others, why He doesn't move when we want Him to, or why whatever the place, whatever happens. But I promise you that as you start to take inventory and as you start to intentionally live with thanksgiving and calling out to God and take note of it, you will see God working in your life and it will change who you are. The first thing that we do is to have a gospel-centered approach to thanksgiving, and we, we consider how Jesus has worked in our life and how he's transformed our life in the salvation moment uh, and, and, for the eterni- and for eternity, but also in the day-to-day moments. And the second thing that we do is that we, we intentionally trust Jesus and we intentionally thank him know, every day, knowing that it actually rewires our brains to be as proficient at recognizing the good as we presently are at identifying the bad. Well, David goes on here, and in verse 10, he says these words, he says, The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack what? No good thing. The Reality of what I think he's extrapolating here is that we live in a world that is full of trouble. You know, hindsight, they say, is twenty twenty, but truly in the middle of the storm, it's often, if not always, challenging to understand why we're going through the things that we are. And there's some obvious perspectives of why we go through different things. When we sin or somebody else sins, there's a consequence to that. When we break the law, there's a consequence to that. When other people do things, it has impact and consequence in our lives. But to be honest, oftentimes in the middle of storms of life, as we're going through something, we have a propensity to run from it and turn and walk away rather than digging in and staying the course and recognizing that God is going to do something in this moment that we never could have had have done for ourselves. And it can be challenging to understand why we're going through what we're going through, but if we can stick with it, often the impact that, that comes, comes, and it, and it impacts our gratitude and our outlook on life as we stay the course. The Bible's clear that, in the, that, that we live in a world that is a broken place, and that as a result, we will go through struggling and, suffer, or, and suffering, we will go through struggle and suffering, But the Bible is also very clear that there's there's almost nothing in this world that will break us. Things might bruise us, but there's nothing that will break us. There's nothing in this world that will break us and shatter our identity and our relationship with God. But instead, God will work on our behalf. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. And he says, in this world you will have trouble. But then he says, take heart. I have come to overcome the world. And Timothy says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We're going to face trouble. This world is a tough place. Things turn on a dime like we've seen this last week or so in Syria. The situation went from bad to despondent. But when we, stick, when we stay the course... And when we're going through the situations and the storms of life that are difficult and we can have an eternal perspective that God is doing something more, there's a blessing that comes. There's a lift up. There's an increase in our thankfulness and our our gratitude. And, And when we have an eternal perspective, it will nurture us forward to being more grateful and more thankful for the things that Jesus is doing. Isaiah said in Isaiah 43 verse 2, these words, he says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Friends, often our, our, the response of our heart, of our critical heart, is to turn away from whatever it is that's turning it down. But I really believe that the response that we need to consider here is that even when we go through the dips and valleys, it's to have perspective that God is doing something more and that we can find absolute satisfaction and thanksgiving in him when we stay the course. Maybe it's the case that we're going through something, and, and as we get to the other side, or, or maybe on, on just the next side of the hill, or the, uh, of the bump that we're, we're going through, that there's a new, that, that, that it will give, as we uh, stick with it, that it will give birth to a new blessing. Maybe it will build our stamina or our endurance. Maybe there's a lesson to be learned. Maybe there's another life that we connect with. Or maybe there's a ministry that can begin. Because through a season in our lives, as we faced a storm or we hit the hard weather or we uh, rode over the bumps in the road, we kept our eyes on Jesus. And because of that, our mess became our message, our sorrow became our song. Our, out of our suffering, we began to sing, and lives were impacted and touched in Jesus' name. I remember about 12 years ago, I was standing in the kitchen of our former church with our, our former pastor's wife, who was the secretary at the church. And I knew that Shirley had been through the thick water so often in life. There was one time in life when Shirley was pregnant, and, they, and, the, and the baby died uh, in the womb, And as the baby died in the womb, she was required or had to, for whatever reason, carry that baby to full term and deliver a stillborn child. And I remember standing in the kitchen that day with Shirley, and I said to her, how did you do it? I said, I know it's a personal thing, but how did you get through that time? And she said, Aaron, you'll never understand or appreciate the ministry that's come. The people that I can connect with, the ministry that's taken place, the stories that have been told, the lives that have been transformed because God carried me through a season. Yeah, it was hard, but the thanksgiving and the joy that's come since, it's powerful. This was a woman who has been through incredible uh, struggle in her life. She grew up in poverty. She needed her knees replaced, her hips replaced, her back was terrible, terrible. She suffered great deals in life, but Shirley Heppner always had a smile on her face and a a corny joke to tell as she came down the hallway. It was amazing. She had every reason in life to believe and, and, and every reason in life to complain and believe that life was bad. But she chose to keep her eyes on Jesus. She chose to daily make the intentional choice to be thankful for the little things. And she chose to have an eternal perspective when it came to suffering and the situations that she faced. And it changed her, and the light of Christ shone through her. It's been so often the case, as we've journeyed with different people, and I'm talking about us collectively. And they have endured through a season. And I'm not talking about unnecessary suffering. I mean about keeping your eyes on Jesus and keep on moving forward. As people have struggled or suffered or times have even died, sometimes when that season is over, we've often been able to look back and say, wow, that's when God really made a difference. That's when the mess became the message. That's when the sorrow became the song. And that's that's when joy really started to take shape. So I'm racing down our rutted road, and as I'm racing down our rutted road, uh, I, as I told you, I backed up, and I came flying into the curb, and I stopped, and I got out of the car, and I was so mad, I slammed the door, probably bent something on it, and, and I got inside the house, and I just laid in bed. And the next morning when I woke up, I knew what I had to do, but I dreaded it, so I delayed. I slept in, got, got into bed at like 2 o'clock in the morning, slept in till like 10, I probably shouldn't confess that, uh, but it was like 10 o'clock. I went downstairs and made some toast, I put my, you know, got dressed for the day, I grabbed my shovel and I, I put my hand on the door and closed my eyes and opened it, expecting to see the misery outside. And To my shock, when I opened the door, it was anything but miserable. The sun came and hit me in the face, and I felt the warmth of the morning sky. My kids were outside throwing snowballs at the neighbor kids, a new family that had just moved in and we'd been longing to connect with. There was kids there was kids tobogganing on the little holes and, and tunnels that had been dug in the snow. There was laughter in the air, and it was incredibly, it was an incredibly beautiful moment rather than the despair and lack of hope that I'd been expecting. I went outside, and I put my shovel on the front step, and I looked at our our front walk, and it was just like, oh, there's feet of snow to clear off. As I did, I looked over, and there was my new neighbor, James. James's driveway was perfect. It was clear, it was cleared off, and I was like, oh, you, yeah, you. Yeah. And he looked up at me, he said, good morning, neighbor. I said, good morning. He says, look like you got a bit of a job ahead of you. I said, I sure do. And he said, would you like a hand? Friends, that Monday morning, September the 30th, is one of the best days we've had in our community since we moved in. Everybody had the day off work that day. Scott was so gracious to us to give us the day off as a staff, and so we stayed home and we started to dig out the community. There was a gang of people that walked around the community pushing cars out. One guy got pushed out six times on the same street. It was awesome. There was laughter in the air. I had conversations with both sets of neighbors that I've been longing to have. We dug each other out. They pushed my car in. The kids were peppering me with snowballs and I barked back at them, leave me alone! And then we all started to laugh together. It was the best day we have had in months in our community and it never would have happened had the storm not come the night before. If that snow didn't fall, if that cold weather didn't sock in, if the, if the blustery weather hadn't come, we never would have experienced the joy of those moments together. And so I want to encourage us on this beautiful day, October the 13th in 2019, when it feels like the storms of life are blowing around you and you know you're walking around and exuding a critical spirit and that you're, you're complaining in life to stay the course. I'm I'm encouraged that you're at church here today because it's been an opportunity for us to to put our eyes on Jesus and and to to remember His work in our lives both for eternity and in the present moment. I'm encouraged that we can take uh, special moments to intentionally be thankful here today either as we're around our tables or as we go out in the foyer in a few moments or as we go home, we've got this uh, refreshed opportunity to look at life a little bit different. And I'm encouraged because we've got this opportunity collectively um, to to stay the course. To look at what life's handing us and what life's doing for us and to say, you know what? God's got something here. And so I'm lifted today. I'm encouraged. I'm motivated because I'm going to try again to push the reset button and nurture an attitude of thanksgiving. To nurture that attitude of gratitude. I'm going to try again. Because here's the thing. I strongly believe that when we display the light of Christ through our lives and in our lives, it's some of the greatest testimonies that we can make into our community. Our desire to see our world met, met and reach for Jesus comes when we are thankful people and friends there's an opportunity for a fresh start. And so I'm inviting you to join me. The greatest complainer in the church, that's me. I'm inviting you to join me to find the joy of Jesus again and to be thankful. Let's pray together. Father God, we want to thank you so much for this beautiful day. Thank you for the beautiful weather outside and thank you for the wonderful opportunity to gather inside. And God, we've sung songs, we've made declarations today that are powerful and important. We're surrounded by you. We're cared for you. You lifted us out of darkness. You've transformed our lives. You've touched our lives in Jesus' name and you've not worked only in our lives for today, but you've held us for eternity. You've given to us your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus and you've worked in us, and you've changed us, and for that, we are so grateful, and we are so thankful. God, today, as we go from this place, may we be the kind of people that nurture and that intentionally posture our lives with thanksgiving. May we be the kind of people that go from this place, and where the light of Christ radiates from us, as we're thankful and we, we share the joy of Christ in this world. Father, give us perspective today as we battle through different seasons and storms in life. Give us the the eternal perspective that there's something that you're doing here and there's more to be had than just what we understand in this moment. And Father, would you bless us. We do pray that you'd rescue us from these seasons, but help us to see um, the things that we're going through in light of eternity. And God, we commit ourselves to you and we ask that you would use us and we give ourselves to you to accomplish your good work. Thank you so much for the privilege of Scripture and the chance to look into it. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.